Welcome to the Shadow Things Podcast. What is up, everybody, and welcome back to the Shadow Things Podcast. My name is Vanessa Spencer. With me, as always, is your host with the most, Brent Fair. What do you got for us today? Well, today, we are going to be talking about everything shadowy and demony. Of course. You know, the blackest of black, the hottest of hot, the deepest of deep, fiery topics of demonology. A little bit of angelology and, you know, all things related to the scariest shit you could imagine. Needless to say, if if you've been scratching your head about it, so is everybody else, and we're here to put yeah. it all out there. Yeah, for sure. So we're going to go over some, uh, some facts, um, some history. We're going to go and talk about some of uh, the more relevant mainstream cases that you've probably heard about. And... Um, give you some delivery on that but first we wanted to uh thank you for being here for sure so this is our third official episode of the shadow things podcast um find us on youtube apple podcast amazon music spotify stitcher red circle or wherever you can find your favorite podcast oh yeah so also we have our own website it's shadowthings.net you can also you know if you want to Send us an email, tell us we're a bunch of jerks, or maybe pat us on the back. Send us an email at talk at shadowthings.net. That's talk at shadowthings.net. Also, I wanted to remind you, if you're on your favorite podcast distribution point or on YouTube, please do subscribe to our podcast. Keep up with the latest up-to-date episodes that we put out bi-weekly. And most of all, obliterate that like button. Button just, just hammer that like button. Um, you know. So, and it's not about a monetary deal here. We're not looking for fame or anything. We just want to get analytical points. You know, see how the podcast is doing. We do that um, when you when you help us track it by hitting the like button and subscribing. So, also tell your friends about us. Share if you'd like and. Um, you know, share the joy and share the shadowy things. So without further ado, we are going to get into the show. So all things demonology. Um, it's really a topic I've, I've been wanting to get into for a long time. Um, there's really nothing deeper when it comes to paranormal. I'm going to say that's the the rock bottom of the paranormal. Like not even the rock bottom. That's just... The scariest shit yeah. that there is, it, in my opinion. It is. I mean, it goes beyond the boogeyman. It goes beyond the little boy ghost hiding in the corner who's sad or the lost uh, lover, romantic, 
uh, ghost story, you know, oh, yeah. the old lady in the lighthouse. I mean, it just, we're talking about the officers of hell, you know, the, 100%. the, the fallen angels. So the darkest of dark. Um, but let's start by identifying um, what demonology is. And I want to preface this by saying that you and I are not experts. 100%. We are, we are no. not demonologists. Um, that would be cool, but whatever, you know. Yeah. So a person like John Zaffis, you know, very, very tenured, very focused in the study of demonology. Uh, there are other people that do the same thing. Uh, we are not those people. We are, we are commentators on topics of whole, but this happens to be one of the most important and deep topics that people want to hear about. So, and I have my own personal opinions on, you know, as to whether or not demons are real or what they could and could not be and all that stuff. So that's where we're going to dig in, but let's define demonology. So the Oxford Dictionary defines demonology as the study of demons or demonic belief. Now, there are all kinds of different definitions just according to the source that you go and research, but that's the Oxford version. Um, University of Hawaii cites demonology as a view that abnormal mental function is due to the occupation by an evil being of the mind of a person. So basically defining demonology or um, possession as a, a mental disorder. Wow. Which is, which is uh, you know, all part of this. Yeah. So um, where, did, where does demonology and the, the belief in demons originate from? Uh, you know, it, it just didn't come out with uh, the 1973 film The Exorcist. <laughs> It didn't come out in the 1800s. It was it was prevalent throughout history of humanity. Um, so angelology and demonology and Judaism became more highly developed during the period. So the Babylonian exile, Every, everything started with the the fall of Babylon. So you're talking the sixth through fifth centuries before Christ BC, um, back when there was. Zoroastrianism. Um, so it the roots reach way back, and there there's there's also points um, and arguments among scholars that is really no definable time when you know demonology or the the, the belief that there are fallen angels came to actually be, but it's thought to be uh, somewhere around six thousand years before Christ. So this is, this goes way back. Um, what are demons? So, what kind of classes are demons? What are I mean? What are what is a demon? A lot of people say it's fallen angels, mm -hmm. and there's a whole there's a whole bunch of stuff behind that. You know, as to why people decipher the biblical text and and come up with the fallen angel theory uh, through stories. Um, but it's thought there's two classes of demons. So first you got your non-human separable souls, and then you got your discarnate spirits, which have never inhabited a body. So someone who has not passed, nor are they human. Mm -hmm. um, 
and some may refer to those as elementals or something from a natural state of the earth, but not human. So they've never been human or inhabited a person. So it really just depends on your, I guess, your religious background and your yeah. thought process and your personal beliefs as to, first of all, whether or not demons are real. But where did they come from? We know they're in the mainstream, you know, on film, book, video. Mm-hmm. Um, but in a classical sense, where did they begin? You know what I mean? Like, yeah. How far back do you got to reach and what are they? So those are the two classes that, you know, coming from a, a theological standpoint, they're thought to be those two classes. So non-human separable souls and then discarnate spirits, which have never been human, which makes a lot of sense. I mean, what else could they be? Now, I guess there's some thought um, at present time, since ufology is, is kind of a big thing and the study of aliens and extraterrestrials, that demons, ghosts, um, anything that's not human could be extraterrestrial intelligences or aliens. So that's kind of a new age mix of today's way of thinking versus the old way of thinking. Yeah. So very cool stuff. So talk a little bit about like the demons themselves. So if there are actually demons and they're fallen from heaven along with Satan into the depths of fiery hell, you know, how many are there? How many how many are in the the officer hierarchy, you know, that report to Satan or you know what I mean? Like how many do you think there are? Mm, I'm going to say I don't know that you could put a number on it. I don't know. Yeah. I I but I've also heard that there's like a couple hundred that yeah. you can name. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah, I guess it depends on where you source the information from. Um, my way of thinking as a kid and growing up was that there's just the devil, you know, and he just kind of worked alone. He was he was the opposite of God, and he didn't have minions that had duties under him or reported to him. But I, I was always under the understanding that that's how it was. There was Satan, and yeah, he had his minions. Yeah. Well, here in a little bit, after we discuss a few more things, we're going to talk about demonology and numbers. And then one of the things that I'll touch on is the, the vast amount of variations of demons in that hierarchy. Um, there are some beliefs, some theological uh, thinkers and scholars that believe that there are up to 6,000 wow. individual demons. And that number actually comes from, and we'll touch on it later, it comes from a biblical text. So a story uh, from, from biblical times passed along, you know, down the ages. So we'll get hmm. into that here in a minute. But, uh, you know, the demonic hierarchy. So included in the, de- the demonic hierarchy are demons popularized by the Bible and brought into the mainstream by books and movies. Each one serves a specific purpose, so they all have kind of a a job to do, and they're all a twisted image of God or, you know, someone from heaven. Spooky. Yeah. So different demonology scholars and religions categorize the demons in different orders, but their motives and vices are all the same. They're all intent on tarnishing the relationship between you and God, creating sin havoc and famine and all this other 
yummy stuff that we'll get into here yeah. in, in just a little bit. But it's all spooky shit, man. If it's if it's all real, oh man, put me on the next train. Yeah. <laughs> so, but anyhow, who's at the top? So, and this is just a um, a generalized list uh, referenced specifically from the Bible, brought into mainstream media. So, and it starts with Lucifer. Not Luther. Tom Ellis. Not Tom. Even as Tom Ellis. I just got to make that clear. So. Lucifer, emperor of hell and demon of pride. So one of the seven deadly sins. So he holds the pride kind of trophy there. So Lucifer's at the top and then one and the same. And, and I never knew there's a difference. You have Satan, prince of hell and demon of witchcraft. Oh, come on. So, so didn't you say that in some, I don't remember that Satan was like it could be multiple there could be multiple Satans or something. You yeah. know what I'm talking about? Yeah, so the so the the word Satan and Lucifer are not actual proper names. They're references to well like for instance Lucifer uh the morning star. Yeah. And Satan is the the doer of evil. You know, that's how they they're specific names of actions, I guess instead of proper names of people. So it really depends on how you source it. However, they are, are certainly not proper names, but Lucifer and Satan seem to be at the top of everyone's list. Uh-huh. And then you, you get into the more, the less heard but more important names that have different purposes as well. Leviathan. I've heard this. Right after Satan. Prince of hell and demon of the heresy and envy, so probably reference more in ancient times uh, mid 1500s backwards with the heresy being the primary duty of leviathan uh, because everyone was a heretic back in those days mm. you know if you didn't go against well if you went against the the catholic church or whatever uh, dominant religion that you uh, had present in your location yeah you were a heretic so perhaps Good old Leviathan was the the doer of that deed. Then we've got good old Beelzebub. Yes, Beelzebub. So Lord of the Flies. Lord of the Flies. Which is which is a movie, by the way. But and a book. And a book. Yeah, a book before the movie. Right? Yep. So chief uh, chief of staff and demons of false gods. Hmm. Beelzebub. That's spooky. Yes, Asmodeus. That name just sounds shitty. Like. It starts with ass. Yeah, so. it starts with ass. And then Modius. <laughs> so Asmodius, king of demons and demon of lust and wickedness. Ew. <laughs> Not interested in that. Right, right, right. So, Adramelic. And if I mispronounce this shit. I was going to say, I don't even know how you just got through that just yeah, now. Adramelic. Great minister of Beelzebub's Order of the Fly. So that's confusing. Yeah. So great like great minister of okay. It's like who 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 overpowers one another, Beelzebub or Adramelic? You know what I mean? Or is he like the Beelzebub's secretary he's, or something? Or maybe he's this bitch or something. I, I don't know. And I don't mind saying these. That's things, totally but. what it sounds like. Okay. And then Balbareth, chief secretary and well, chief secretary of hell and demon of blasphemy probably going back again into the 
the wicked ancient times of you know uh 1500s and and backward uh, rome and england you know so because you're talking about blasphemy and again you're a heretic um if you if you go against the church it's blasphemous so maybe he's the doer of god's name in vain and all that good stuff and blah 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 but as Tarath, prince of thrones and treasurer of hell. So now it's starting to sound like a city council. It is the city council. What? So, the treasurer. Yeah. So he's a treasurer. So obviously there's money in hell, I guess. Clearly. Maybe there's like Bitcoin and... Some kind of currency. Perhaps Elon Musk is involved and he can he can retweet, you know, the, the demon coin and get that price. Okay. So that's, that's going a little far, but... We get it. Yeah. So you need a little structure down in hell. So yeah, he's the uh, the treasurer of hell. So that's interesting. Then you have Varine, second prince of thrones and demon of impatience. Oh, I tell you what, when I'm at a red light, I think that demon's with me because I just 100%. don't. I'm tired of waiting on that fucking red light. <laughs> you know. And then you have Gressil, the third prince of thrones and demon of impurity. That sounds kind of a roundabout, like the sin maker in purity. Okay, okay. And then we've got... Uh, Olivier. I've heard that before. I have not. I, I don't know where, but I've heard it. Yeah, Olivier, prince of archangels and demon of cruelty. Probably the one that I would not want to screw with, I guess. I don't want to see him at the foot of my bed. Right, right, right. Uh, Lavart. <laughs> what Print. a name. Yeah, that sounds like a rapper. Lavart. <laughs> so Lavart. Prince of Angels, that sounds good. Prince of Angels and Possessor of Sister Madeline. Okay. Okay. Verir, Prince of Principalities. All right. Prince of Principalities and Demon of Disobedience. Oh, shit. It's the principalities in this, yo. <laughs> and then you have Behemoth. Oh. Behemoth is a night watchman of hell and Satan's cook. So when Satan is in the mood for a microwave burrito, Behemoth takes that frozen sucker and puts it in the hellish microwave, hits three minutes. Watches that bitch bowl around in the microwave. Right, right, right. And Satan is happy. There you go. Put some hot sauce on it, of course. Diablo sauce. Now, this last one I want to talk to you a little bit about and kind of get your take on what you have sort of may have heard. But Yeah. So Samael uh-huh. comes comes at the bottom of this list, but some people would put him at the very top. So Samael, famously for being the prince of demons. So in Hebrew lore, he's known as the venom of God. So interesting. Yeah, he's 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 thought to be the executioner of death sentences decreed by God. So when God says it's your turn, supposedly he's the executioner that makes that happen. So he's categorized by some scholars as being both good and evil. Oh, that's interesting. I didn't know there was such a thing. Yeah. So that's Samael, I guess. Now we were talking earlier before the show. Um, I think you referenced uh, Samuel. Have you have you heard any like why do you think he should be at the top of the list? Okay, so um, going back to Tom Ellis. Now in the show Lucifer, he is referred to as Samuel. Oh. Lucifer Morningstar is Samuel, and I don't know if there's any truth to that or if there's any like context to that, but 
Well, that's where I kind of got that from. I wondered if he was at the top of the food chain. Well, here's the deal. Um, if any, if there's any truth to the matter that Hollywood is driven by all yeah. things shadowy, perhaps the producers of Netflix's, I don't know, is that a Netflix show? It is now. An original? Lucifer. Okay, well, producers of Lucifer know a little bit more about um, hell than we do. I would per- imagine. Perhaps Sam Iel is the... The A number one Duke of Hell. I'd like to think that there's some kind of context behind that, but uh, that would be pretty cool. So, um, and there's also a class correspondence. Um, some of these demons are related specifically to the seven deadly sins. Mm. So you have Lucifer, Pride, Mammon, which is another. We're talking other, um, not classifications, but labeled demons. Avarice, I've never heard of that, um, that seven deadly sin. And then lechery is held by Asmodeus. We've talked about his ass before. Of course. Right? And then Satan is anger, that sin. Beelzebub, gluttony, you know, being fat with his microwave burritos. Mm-hmm. Leviathan is envy. And then Belphegor is sloth. Not three-toed either, just kind of sloth. being slothy. Right. Which, which I do that as well. So Same. I'm impatient at red lights. and that. Okay. So the deal is is that there may be up to 6,000 different demons that people have named over the course of humanity. However, who knows? You know, mm. I, I, there might be like one or two. Maybe it's Maybe there's none. Maybe. I guess that could be. But the fact of the matter is, is that if there is demons or Satan or any of those that we just talked about, their intent remains the same. So in their fallen condition, they attempt to keep humans from gaining a right relationship with God by provoking them to sin. So it's all about getting us to be bad humans so that we don't bank on a relationship with God so God will disown us. Does that sound about right? I guess so, yeah. So it's not really about infesting our bodies and spinning our heads around in pea soup and going down the stairs backwards and all that stuff. Yeah, that's the confusion for me. Is That's the byproduct. It's like they want us to be wrongdoers, but you see things like not even just on TV or Hollywood shit. You see like getting possessed and you see all these things but like if your purpose is to make this human be a piece of shit, then why do you need his body for that? That doesn't make any sense, but I'm sure somebody out there knows what I'm talking about. Right. Why do you need the body when you could just kind of like point at a mountain and have it crumble and kill a bunch of fucking people? A hundred percent. Right? Like, I guess that's what you're getting at. Yeah. Well, it kind of leads me to the next thing. So, um, so they tempt humans to sin. The fallen angels or devils were believed to also cause various types of calamities, both natural and accidental. So they're viewed as being agents of famine, disease, war, earthquakes, accidental deaths. Like, trying to be tricky and shit. Yeah. Accidental deaths. And various mental and emotional disorders, which is sad. Yeah. So if we got to blame it on anybody, we're going to blame it on Beelzebub. 100%. Right? Yeah. Next time I'm in a shitty mood. But uh, persons afflicted with mental diseases are were considered to be demon possessed in ancient times. Think about that. Wow. Persons afflicted with mental disorders were considered to be demon possessed in ancient times. Now today, it's a perfect opposite. People 
who believe they are possessed are first suspected of mental illness. So it's a complete polar opposite from the way of thinking hundreds of years ago. Maybe not even hundreds of years ago. And I've thought about this before. Like, I wonder if you could, like, if somebody was really like, oh, there's demons and like, oh, everybody else is like, oh, you're batshit crazy. What if there's dead ass demons and like nobody believes that person? That kind of stuff sits in my mind late at night. I think about it. I do. Well, that's the thing. And, and when we get into some of these more infamous cases here in a little bit, um, some of them are really compelling. Like the, the, the evidence and the stories behind them really make me scratch my head. Like the skeptic in me wants to say, yeah, there's no demons. It's just a bunch of mental stuff. You know, give them an antidepressant or something. Yeah. And they're cool. But, but when you couple that with... You know, people crawling up walls and no. doing bodily things that their body shouldn't do and contortions and, you know, it makes you think. There's not prescription drugs that are going to fix you crawling up the wall. No. No. So. I, I mean, I, I think, and we'll touch on this a little bit later, too. I think it's the mental health evaluation is probably the most important and primary uh, stage of investigating a case of possession. Yeah. I think that you should look at the person and analyze their their mental health and well-being and if you're not you're doing a disservice a disservice to that person and their family and probably yourself yeah so i think it's very important to analyze somebody's well-being yeah so let's do something fun and talk about demons by numbers mm-hmm. so a little bit of statistical tidbits here for you so the Zoroastrian faith, and that's specific to Iranian faith, teaches that there are 3,333 demons, while other religions elevate that number to 6,000. Can, wow. can you imagine 6,000 demons? Like that's, uh, that's about the size of a small township. You know, they're all, they're all fucking demons. And when it's time to go demon people, they all just spread out all over the world. I mean, it's kind of crazy. According to everybody in the world, I mean, that is. Yeah. Yeah, so, you know, and it could be one or two. It could be 3,333 demons according to the Zoroastrian faith. Who knows? But that is a number. So check this out. One-third of an unknown sum. We'll talk about that. According to Scripture, one-third of all angels fell from grace, and two-thirds remained in heaven. So when the angels became fallen and fell from grace and went to hell... Only a third of them did. And then the other balance, two-thirds, stayed in heaven. So based on that part of Scripture, there are more angels than there are demons. Interesting. So if there's up to 6,000 demons, might there be 18,000-ish angels? Hmm. But here's my problem. If we're all good and shit, and we go to heaven, aren't we all angels? I mean... More than 18,000 people have died, and good people. I didn't think about that. It's kind of like, man, what's going on? And I just want to say, I'm not knocking religion or that belief in going to the pearly gates and all that stuff, because I have my own thoughts, theories, and beliefs. But Mm -hmm. think about the numbers. And these numbers are very subjective. They're sourced from places that might have inaccuracies. But I really dug in to find some good data for you know, some of the, the texts that were pulled out of biblical times and stories. So the number 237. If Satan worked alone, check this shit out. 
So Tom Ellis, let's just say Lucifer or yeah. Satan, if he didn't have that detective chick, what's her name? Chloe. Chloe. <laughs> so if he didn't have little Chloe and he worked alone and there were actually no lesser demons, you know, like his brother and all the people that pop into the to the show. Yeah. It would take Lucifer 237.8 years to visit each person on Earth. All 7.5 billion of us currently here on Earth. One time for one second. So it would take him 237 years to visit us one time for just one second of your life. But there are claims of people having full-on conversations with the devil himself or the devil being in their room and they can't move for 10 minutes so that's a head scratcher yeah i mean they could be they could perceive their quote-unquote evil experience as being demonic or the devil Mm -hmm. just label that presence as the devil yeah but if it if if lucifer slash satan is is spending more than one second with somebody i kind of feel gypped you know, if they're having these full-on conversations, it kind of cuts into the 237.8 years that is allotted for the rest of humanity. Yeah. Not that any of us want to experience. Yeah. <laughs> uh, no, I'm not interested in that. Right, right, right. So it kind of a, a squirrely way to do math, but yeah. 7.5 billion of us takes Satan 237 years to visit us one time for one second. Hmm. So the number is 5646. So, through the New Testament, demons appear 55 times and 46 times in reference to demonic possession and exorcisms in the Bible. However, the word devil is never referenced in the Bible, but demons are. Very interesting. Wow. So, 55, 46. 6,000. This is cool. So, 6,000 is where you get the name Legion or the label Legion. Yeah. So 6,000, Mark chapter 5, verse 1 through 20, speak of a man that was possessed by a legion of demons, being 6,000. So this poor chap, this bloke, (laughs) was possessed by 6,000 microwave burrito-eating fucking demons. Mm. You know what I mean? So, And legion is an ancient Roman military term used to describe an army of 6,000. So that's where you get legion, and there's a name, you know, that they that derives from those times. It turns into legion. So, when Jesus spoke to a demon within a man, he asked its name, and it replied, "My name is Legion." Some New Testament scholars agree that the man embodies the dehumanizing oppression of Rome itself, which makes a lot of sense. But six thousand. And that kind of corresponds with that upper number of uh, some religions believing that there are 6,000 separate demons. Not classes, but actual separate demons. So a legion of demons. The number 36. So the number 36 comes from uh, the number of actual Vatican-trained priests that are in the United States who are authorized to perform the rite of exorcism. So you got to imagine there's probably a dozen and a half exorcisms going on today somewhere in the United States. You know, somebody that's somebody performing the rite of exorcism that probably shouldn't be. I don't know if there's like a, I, well, I know from research, but is there like a Bible of exorcisms or a manual, an employee guide? You know, I, I wonder the same thing. 
because they make it sound so like and again i'm going back to hollywood because that's all anybody has to go by that doesn't actually know anything about it right make it sound like you have to go through some top secret ass training to be you know a certified exorcist right and i do have some answers for that but the the vatican has only trained and authorized 36 within the u.s to perform the rite of exorcism so 36 is a number there now here's the other part to that there are 400 the number 400 is our next one 400 vatican trained exorcists throughout the world wow now that number is becoming uh, more so it's increasing as the the current pope and the current church um allows discussion of exorcism and you know that the whole that part of demonology so they're more accepting um these days so they're actually holding conferences and allowing more discussion and action in regards to um demons and exorcism and getting people trained to take care of those issues Mm -hmm. so that is uh that's a lot of people 400 people that are vatican trained throughout the world yeah so the check this out the cheap number 60,000 is our next number 60,000 this is just crazy <laughs> 60,000 so the pope's the current pope his chief exorcist had in his time of you know from being an exorcist performed 60,000 exorcisms over 30 years before he died in 2016 at the age of 91 sick 60,000 I haven't eaten that many French fries in my life. No. You know, I I plow them son of a bitches down pretty good, too. I might have. Yeah. So 60,000 exorcisms. And you know what's funny is that I did read a little bit more into this this chief exorcist of the the Pope. And he actually, out of 60,000, has claimed to have only encountered the devil himself one time in one case. It was a young man in Italy, and I don't remember the timing, but it was in the 90s before he retired. And, uh, you know, the other 59,999 were not the man in charge. Mm. They were they were those other 6,000 demons recycling and going into other people, according to, you know, all this statistical subjective numbering. Yeah. Isn't that crazy? Mm. Very. Yeah. So we'll talk a little bit more about, um, you know, what the what the church labels as a person's need for exorcism and what demons are and what is required by the church to get an exorcism. And again, we are not experts. We're talking about this from sourced shit from the Internet. Uh-huh. But I did see that the Catholic diocese said there are four main stages of demonic possession. And I think these are about right too. But number one is speaking languages otherwise unknown to the person. So basically if I start flailing around like I'm on ghost adventures on the floor. <laughs> Stop. And I start speaking fucking Swahili or something. Yeah. That ain't right. That's kinda that's kinda shadowy. I'm calling the church. Yeah, the the guy with the with the Bible and the collar is probably gonna think that Number one has been checked off the box. Yeah. But he's also going to research to see if I am versed in Swahili or seven other languages, you know, so. 
Yeah. The number one thing, not the top, it's not categorized in a hierarchy, but speaking languages otherwise unknown to the person is, is a huge thing. And that does happen in a lot of these cases of demonic possession. Number two, demonstrating strength beyond normal capacity of the person. So like strength? Yeah, like... Like lifting shit and yeah, like, like boom, ba, pow, creatine and right, right, right. Yeah, um, yeah. So like, for example, there are cases where some of the possessed subjects um, throw people across the room, like literally, mm. you know, younger, flail, sub one hundred pound subjects of demonic possession are picking up grown men and throwing them across the room, and it's really not in our physics for that to be. Yeah. You know, possible. Yeah. Well, anything's possible, but, you know, that's really not the norm. Mm. Or picking up furniture and whizzing it down the stairs or what have you. So demonstrating strength beyond the normal capacity of a person. Yeah, I'm pretty fucking strong, but I'm not picking I'm up not, cars nope. or, you know. Um, number three, elevated perception and having knowledge about things they shouldn't. So, and that, and you can reference some of those examples, like in the movie The Exorcist, when Reagan was in the bed. So she's the possessed girl in the movie. And we're going to talk about The Exorcist here in a little bit. The movie, the book, and the real life case that inspired the film and the book. Um, but in that film, you've seen snippets or segments of that um, scene where the the preacher or the priest was in the room and. Reagan was telling him things about his mother yeah. that only he should know. You know, things that they have other no earthly business of knowing except for that that individual person. So very spooky. And there is a case, um, and I'm referencing back to the the Pope's chief exorcism, the guy that performed sixty thousand. He, on that one occasion in Italy, with the young man. Um, had been told by this man things that should not have been known to that subject about his family and other things. And he had a private conversation before he went to the location of the exorcism, one of many with this individual, and was speaking to another member of clergy. I think it was another priest. And during that phone call, both him and the other priest concur that they heard a voice come over the phone uh, telling them uh, all all kinds of things about things that this voice should not know about and you know cursing at them stating blasphemous statements and trying to get them really spooked but that happened before the exorcism even before they got to the location so this this is omnipresence uh, intelligence knows too much shit about people involved in these cases. I don't know what I would do. Yeah, it's crazy. That's like you're getting into your head and your past. And so number three, elevated perception that having knowledge about things they shouldn't. And then this, this is kind of, I guess this would be about right, especially with mainstream. If there is a good versus evil component to demonic possession, but resisting anything sacred as number four. So basically Kind of like when vampires see a crucifix, they go scurrying. You know, they don't like that shit. Yeah. Um, so basically an, an opposition to, or an opposition to anything that's holy. So if you're... So a rosary or... Yeah. Bible. The Bible. Holy water. Mm-hmm. So when, when those things are administered as a part of 
the rite of exorcism or the the events tied around trying to expel the demon, uh, expel the demon. The those those objects are really um, rejected by the subject of the possession, so they freak out and shit. Yeah. So those are the four components. So speaking weird languages, superhuman strength, knowing stuff that they shouldn't know, and a resistance to anything holy. So those are the four things that the Catholic diocese really looks at and, and kind of paints an arrow brush over the case, you know, to see if that's uh, something that they want to move forward with. Um, so there's something called the U.S. Bishops Conference, and I don't know, like, the affiliations. Are they affiliated with the Vatican directly or and all that stuff? I'm really speaking out of level on that. But according to the U.S. Bishops Conference website, there are two kinds of exorcisms, minor and major. So the major form is per- performed routinely during baptism. So for people that get their head dunked in the water and cleaned of all their sin sins, that's a that sacrament or that is a a part of uh, a minor ba- or a exorcism. So you're being exercised when you're baptized. That shit would boil if I was in it. <laughs> The major form entails the expulsion of demons and should be performed only by a bishop or a priest who has a bishop's permission. So in the Catholic Church, really the only people that should be performing an exorcism is a bishop of that church or a priest that has the bishop's permission. So really we shouldn't have a bunch of deacons, um, squires, Alder boys, we shouldn't have anybody else from the church performing these rites of exorcism on behalf of the church. Mm. Now, there might be a crazy guy next door named Charlie who uses Ouija boards and he's spiritual and kind of spooky and known to do stuff like that that might claim to be able to expel your demons, but you can almost guarantee he's not authorized by the Catholic church. To perform that job so um and, and and that's really just the catholic church but there are there are numerous religions that have their own ways of authorizing and categorizing you know what is possession and the needs based on that but procedure i checked this out so i, I wasn't going to mention the the actual organization but this really kind of cracks me up a little bit and it's kind of sad, but this is the Roman Catholic Archdiocese of Washington, so Washington State. Mm-hmm. Uh, the procedures for requesting an exorcism taken directly from their website. So there's no mention of a mental evaluation during this process. Mm. Now, there's a lot of other references uh, that I did pick up on that did mention the, the mental evaluation during their processes. But it, it, it starts um, by saying that if you don't live in Washington State, they can't help you. It literally says that on the website, which, you know, I kind of get. But they're, they're like, hey, if you're, if you're in Connecticut, don't, don't fucking reach out to us for, <laughs> for us to sweep your demons away. That's kind of interesting. Yeah. But they give, a little, they give a little finder that you can find your nearest exorcist guy. Gosh. <laughs> yeah. So, um, 
uh, during the appointments, the initial contact with the Roman Catholic Archdiocese people in Washington, um, the priest will listen to the person's history, provide pastoral guidance, and deliverance prayers. So after praying over the person, the priest considers, if the priest considers it appropriate, he or she is referred to to the exorcism team of the archdiocese. So you're going straight from the initial meeting to a prayer to meeting the rest of the exorcism team. That's spooky because mm-hmm. I could go straight up in there and be like, I'm possessed. And then he'll say a prayer, talk to me a little bit, and then I'm straight going to the, the fucking full throttle exorcist team. Ugh. Like to me, maybe they should put me in the mental ward and or have have a have a psychologist check me out or. There needs to be some sort of evaluation, in my opinion. Yeah, Sigmund Freud me on the couch and <laughs> check me out first. But no, they're they're the archdiocese of of Washington is referring you straight to the whole full throttle team of exorcists. That's kind of kind of wow. But, and then it goes on, the exorcism team will assess your situation and determine appropriate steps. Maybe that's where the mental part comes in. But uh, confidentiality in all cases, really, of any church is assured pretty much throughout the process. And then there are other um, mechanisms that deal with people who are under the age of 18. But that's just the Washington Archdiocese. Now check this out. Uh, I discovered a possible contradiction or bias of eligibility for Catholic-sponsored exorcism. Basically, the practice of who may receive a major exorcism governed by canon law, so canon law or code of law, uh, number 1170, the following are able to receive this specialized blessing if it is deemed necessary. Number one, Catholics. So if you're Catholic, you're good to go. Sweeping the demons out and putting that shit on the curb Tuesday morning for the trash truck to get. <laughs> right? Number two, I can't. So, catch a cumins. Let's just skip number two and go straight to number three. So, another, another group of people can get their Tuesday morning sweeping of demons trash service. Yeah. But number three, non Catholic Christians who request it. And number four, Non-Christian believers provided, here's the here's the but, provided they have the proper disposition, meaning they are sincere in their desire to be free of demonic influence. So I'm not Catholic, but if I come into your church, don't make me prove that I really want these motherfucking demons gone. Right? I want to know what is the criteria. Like, that you, like that's the criteria. But like, what? How do you prove that you desire freedom? Yeah. So if the bed is spinning around and people are vomiting and, you know, the the walls are melting and there's rotting flesh, why do I got to prove that I'm sincere? What the fuck more do you want? Exactly. That's what I'm saying. So I think it's a little biased that the Catholic Church uh, wants you to be pretty kind of (laughs) religious. I've I've always found that interesting. So I say that a lot. I don't know, but... Let's dig into some of the good stuff here um, and talk about some infamous cases that we may or may not have heard of in uh, demonology and cases of possession and all that good jazz. So does the name Annalise Michael ring a bell? Kind of. 
Yeah, I I've always heard it, but I in two thousand and five I seen the the release of the uh, movie Exorcism of Emily Rose. Mm. Man, that movie scared the shit out of me. I almost had to leave the theater. You saw that at the theater? I did see it at the theater. Shit. Yeah, it was a very uh, troubling movie. I I think the part that got me in that particular film is the time that she spent alone at the beginning of the early stages of possession, kind of that depression, you know, the oppression part of the early stages where she was alone in her college dorm room. Mm -hmm. And it was just kind of dark scenery. And she was just, she, it was so real because she was hearing things creak across the room and not very far-fetched stuff. Right. But they threw that in the film and that just kind of grabbed me in like, hey, this this might have been something that could have happened. But, and then it went on to uh, show all the dastardly happenings with that girl. But um, a very, a very um, in-depth case where it turned out to be, you know, a criminal matter in the end and allegations of abuse on behalf of the, the exorcist that performed, you know, and, and I believe some of the family um, that that uh, perpetrated the the exorcism rites themselves. Um, but yeah, there was a 2005 film called The Exorcism of Emily Rose. So Annalise, she was a young German woman. She had struggled from an early age with mental illness, so she had a predisposition to uh, mental mm-hmm. mental health uh, issues. Um, she was diagnosed with epileptic psychosis. Ooh. She also experienced depression and visual and auditory hallucinations for which she was hospitalized for. That's spooky. Like I, I, I think I've had, you know, being a believer in a lot of this stuff, I've had visual and auditory, uh, experiences. Well, if they're labeled as hallucinations am i going to be hospitalized for it like am i that far off the beaten path i just can't picture that well that's what happened to annalise in this case so you know with her time her symptoms they anticified growing to include an aversion towards religious iconography so um scripture and pictures of crosses you know icons of the uh, the bible and all things biblical and then at 22, she underwent 10 months of Catholic exorcism rites. Nearly 70 exorcisms were performed in secrecy under the order of the church. So wow. 70 exorcisms, all on the down low, performed and sponsored by the church. So in July of 1976, Annalise passed away. The autopsy declared her death was a result of emaciation, malnutrition, and starvation at the hands of the priest and her family who had, during the exorcisms, discontinued consultations with doctors. So the family and priest involved were investigated, charged with negligent homicide, and were found guilty of manslaughter, serving six months in jail and three years probation. Sorry, but that's not enough. No, that's really sad. I mean, that's really sad. I, and c- could you imagine the legal um, struggle it would be to try to prove your defendants in that case as being warriors of God instead of fuckheads who just not just you know treated just suck. Yeah, just um, yeah, just ruined 
Annalise's life. That's really sad. Yeah, but that is a real case, though. Annalise Michael. And then number two, and I had never heard of her before, but Anna Eklund. Hmm. So basically, it started around when she was 14 years old. She began speaking in tongues, strange guttural voices, levitating and clinging to bedroom walls. Check, so that, please. That whole Spider-Man scene, you know, in some of those exorcism movies where yeah. people walk up walls and stuff. So she, Anna Eklund was kind of the the, the, the case that, you know, popularized the, the climbing of the walls, per se. And uh, her possession spanned several decades, beginning in 1912. So this was over 100 years ago um, when she was 14. So her demonic possession was reported to be the result, the direct result of a curse that was put on her as a devout Christian in 1908 by her caretakers. So we're talking about her, I believe her aunt and uncle had put a curse on her. What in the hell? And then she became demonically possessed. And then there was a, a priest, uh, his name is Father Carl Vogel. He wrote an account of Anna's possession in a pamphlet that was published in 1936 called Begone Satan, a soul-stirring account of diabolical possession in Iowa. So this happened in the United States, three states to the west of where we sit right now here in the Shadow Thing studio. Hmm. Yeah. So basically, you know, with, with, with Eklund, um, she did have a... A first exorcism that was performed in 1912 and it was successful for a time and then she went on to be possessed again and even more by by even more demons in 1928 so they had the initial exorcism in 1912 she led a normal life until 1928 and then those burrito eating bastards came back mm. oh my lord did you hear that that was my stomach. So if the fans out there in the shadowy world of the Shadow Things podcast heard a guttural growl, that was my stomach because I'm hungry. Because you said burritos. I was talking about burritos. Yeah. Yeah, she she became even more possessed by demons in 1928. And her second exorcism, which lasted three sessions, was held at a convent in Erling, Iowa, and was so grueling it lasted or it resulted in a deterioration of Eklund's body. The demons were eventually exorcised, and Eklund went on to live her life only with milder possessions afterwards. So basically, she had exorcism one. Only. Exorcism two by a bunch of more burrito-eating fuckers. And then it was kind of successful after that, and she just yeah had some occasional possessions. She only had a couple occasional possessions right, right, right. afterwards. Um... A lot of people that are really into the whole, um, well, this case, and they're really into demonology and the exorcism stories, will know the name Roland Doe or Robbie Mannheim. So, a lot of people don't realize that the 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 book, the 1971 horror classic book, written by William. Peter Blatty um, was inspired by not a book about a girl and I believe it was uh, oh right there by in the Washington area um, 
whatever you've seen in the movie The Exorcist, the the 1973 horror classes, classic The Exorcist, which was inspired by William Peter Blatty's 1971 book. It was actually about, the, the initial case was about a young man named Robbie Mannheim or Roland Doe, whichever, and, and there's really no direct correlation or way you can... Uh, tie an actual name into the case. It really just depends on where you get your information from. But Robbie Mannheim. Um, I, I do want to say, too, that that the exorcism or the exorcist book and movie were all based on fictional accounts of people possessed by a demon named Pazuzu. Mm-hmm. And in the... The actual case that inspired all of it, Pazuzu was not, that was not. A thing. It was another burrito eater. Mm-hmm. So the 13-year-old Robbie or Roland, um, he actually dabbled with Ouija boards. Figures. And it, it, yeah, and this kind of stoked this whole thing. Um, the, so the, fa- the entire family became overwhelmed by weird occurrences including odd noises, furniture moving, objects levitating, only when Roland was around, however. So they reached out to their Lutheran pastor who, after monitoring Roland's behavior, declared that he should see a Catholic priest. So the family then moved to St. Louis, which is more of a recognizable location in some of the story that people might relate to, where he saw three more priests who, with the permission of the archbishop, carried out around 30 exorcisms on Roland in a psychiatric wing of a city hospital. So the actual real shit happened within a psych ward of a city hospital, not in some cozy Georgetown. That was, a, that was the place I was looking for. Georgetown uh, house at the top of those stairs that you see in the exorcist film. Yeah. But it was in a psych ward in St. Louis. A lot of people know that, but um, he all kinds of stuff happened, like messages appearing on his skin, you know, just carved into his skin, guttural voices, extreme strength were noted in one priest's diary before the young boy was eventually freed of malicious spirit with no memory of the event. So after it all happened, supposedly this young man went on to not only lead a normal life, but not remember anything about what happened. Wow. Yeah. So that's the famous, really root origin story behind the whole Exorcist film. Yeah. And uh, William Peter Blatty book. And if I am correct or not correct about any of that stuff, feel free to drop us a, you know, complaint or a correction or (laughs) what, you know, dog me out at talk at shadowthings.net. We'll read your email and address it on the air. Number four, probably the most known to people that don't even follow demonology is David Berkowitz, son of Sam. I've heard of this. One of the most prolific serial killer, or the most notorious serial killer. Um, So during the years 1976 and 77, Berkowitz would terrorize the residents of the city's five boroughs, murdering six, wounding seven, in a violent spree he attributed to Papa Sam. A mysterious evil figure Berkowitz referenced in the letters he wrote from his crime scenes. Wow. Um, It's interesting. Yeah. And here's the thing. After his capture, it was revealed that Sam was the dog 
of his neighbor, Sam Carr. So son of Sam Berkowitz, Berkowitz claimed in his prison cell diaries that the animal was possessed by a 6,000-year-old man named Sam, an alcoholic who consumed human blood. I mean, where do, you, where, where do you get this shit from? What the hell? Berkowitz also claimed that the spirit locked him in the attic and commanded him to kill through the dog. Wow, love that for him. Wow. Yeah. Berkowitz has gone... Here's the thing. Berkowitz has gone back and forth since then, sometimes sticking with the possession story, you know, the original account, and then sometimes recanting it. But to this day, he believes that the crimes were part of an epic struggle between God and the devil. Mm. So he was doing his part by breaking bad on people, you know, in New York. But, yeah, so so there's four, four of the kind of top of the end cases that that I was able to just kind of bring to the table and, and references maybe being some cases that you've heard of and maybe you did not hear of, but just some kind of interesting stuff there. And they're all different, you know, involving different people and, and all that stuff. So you did you research any cases? I didn't. I just have personal stories that I've been dying to share because, well, they're personal, not like me, but just people that I know have shared so many crazy, bizarre stories with me that have me scratching my head. Yep. I know that we talked previously before the show. Um, there's a burrito eater that is winged, like a winged demon, I guess. Mm-hmm. Pazuzu is winged, but... Maybe that's it. I don't know, like a... Um... Yeah, anyways. But I have a friend... You know her. I won't name drop, but um, when she was probably my daughter's age, she's nine, uh, lived in a giant house, and she experienced all these kinds of like crazy, not possession or anything, but this is a story I wanted to share because it was like, I feel like there's a thin line between maybe this is believable or like, whoa, that's bullshit. Right. But to me, in my opinion, I don't have too many explanations for some of the things she told me. Like, so she had one of those like old school uh, TVs with the VCR combo. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You v- just stick that bitch in and go. VCR. You know what I mean? <laughs> I put, put the grilled cheese in one side. Okay. <laughs> but anyways, so she put... A VCR in, a VCR, a VCR, a, <laughs> a videotape in the VCR, and she was laying down for bed. She had her movie gone. It was like a Disney movie, of course. She's nine. Right, right. Um, and she said, she could read at the time, obviously, but sure. she said in the, she never used subtitles, obviously. Not, I mean, some people prefer, she never used subtitles or closed captioning. But she swears up and down that she woke up. She had dozed off. She woke up and she seen words in red, like subtitles, pop up at the bottom of her screen saying all kinds of bizarre shit. Uh Does she remember what it really said? She said it popped up three times in a row. Three. You can't find me. The Trinity. You can't catch me. You can't kill me had nothing to do with what she was watching. She was watching Aquamarine. That's a fucking mermaid movie. 
Is that a Disney movie? It's. I think so. Okay. I'm pretty sure. It's a kid's movie. It's a movie, not a cartoon, right? No. Not by any. Okay. No. It's a movie about mermaids. And she said in red, bold subtitles popped up, you can't find me, you can't catch me, and you can't kill me. And that's not a line from the movie at all? Not at all. Like, what the fuck? What is that? What is that? And then she told me that um, she has a lot of brothers and sisters. And in the house she was living in, it was a two-story home. Like I said, it was a bigger home. Right. She had experienced a lot of a lot of your normal like shit moving on its own doors opening closing right footsteps right right classic haunting classic but she said one day it was broad daylight and they kept hearing banging on the side of the house like like banging right and these loud thumps were accompanied by this giant winged thing she could see they her not just her other people could see this thing flying off of the side of the house and landing back on another part of the house and that's what like the banging was like it would just bang on the side of the house a large winged creature call that what you want but it's like I, I just don't have an explanation for it. Could she be bullshitting me? Sure, but she wouldn't. Yeah. Can you tell me the first initial of this person's first name? A. A, okay. I'll uh, dig in my thought process to figure out who that is, but we'll we'll talk about it after the show. Yeah. <laughs> wow, that's, that's interesting. Now, does that person tie that event or that series of events into a demon yeah why 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 not a cryptid or a burglar (laughs) well not not the subtitling but the thing in the side of the house just the sinister like first of all a message like that popping up on the screen yeah i can't imagine would come from an old good lady ghost or you know what i'm saying like something a little more gentle messages popping up on the screen of her TV of her dinosaur TV right and just the loud violent banging on the house and like I don't know that's just how she described all these things to me she said demon I'm like did she have any um, after events happen as far as mental health issues or any any signs of oppression or depression or physical phenomenon occur to her personally or anyone in the house? Not that I'm aware of. Okay. Not that she disclosed to me. But you never know. I mean, if something winged kind of sparks uh, recollection to me, and that would be Mothman. Did this occur in Ohio? It did. Interesting. It did. But but maybe not a cryptid. Maybe a demon. I mean, That's just the way she put it. Now, that kind of, like, brings to me, can you correlate demons with poltergeist activity you know what i mean because she said that shit moved on its own all the time and that's poltergeist stuff sure well i mean knockings and rappings on walls whether it be interior exterior are signatures of a classic haunting case so i guess it it really just kind of depends on 
where the whole winged part came in. Like, if you can really... So they saw a winged being, They correct? saw a giant, I'm talking huge, this is how she described it to me, it was covering, it was blocking the sun. Oh, okay. As it was moving. And she said this lasted for uh, what felt like forever, but a few minutes. Wow. This thing was bouncing off the house and coming back and... They were all running from the windows. And and when you say they were all, you mean the family, the parents, perhaps? No. Who? Brothers and sisters. Okay. So were they maybe the same age group? Mm, they're all over the place. Okay. Well, that's that's pretty spooky. Yeah. Pretty interesting. Cool. Yeah. What else you got? Um, we haven't touched too much on angels. Yeah. But I guess the same thing is... I guess the same issue is like not even an issue. It's just like a wonder. When you think about if these things are real and you have people that have all these experiences, Kyle, my husband, right, told me about the same age as the girl from right, the other right. story. About nine. About nine. nine. Yeah. And this kind of stuff, I don't really know if I have an explanation for, but he said that one time he was dead ass asleep right in his room he woke up fully awake he says he's fully awake and he looked into the corner of his room and he's seen a bright the brightest light he'd ever seen in his entire life winged thing it was just like a winged light kyle kyle interesting and he swears by it okay like you have stories you've told me you swear by sure he's dead ass I, and when people, when people are, you can you can tell when you can people tell. Are, are sincere. You can tell, right? And this little snippet chills me, because like every time he tells me about it, I'm just like, whoa, because he said it had wings, no features, just wings. He could see the lining of wings. He couldn't make out any like humanoid other than a head, and he said, I don't know how I feel about it, but he said that there was like a halo type situation. Some kind of beaming something above the head. Mm -hmm. And he swears by it. He said he was very comfortable with the experience wow. as he was having it. And visually, you're describing the perfect angelic poster child image. Yeah. yeah. And, um, and coupled by the fact that he was very comfortable, perhaps that was an angelic experience. He said he was very comfortable and Wow. After the fact, like when he woke up the next day and he's like, holy shit, that happened. A little discomfort came because you're like, yeah, yeah. The Whoa. fear, the fear of the unknown. Yeah. But that really happened, happened to him. I believe him. Yeah. A hundred percent. And of course, and, and if, and I know Kyle, of course. Yeah. Um, if he were to tell me that story, I would, I would probably just believe him right off the bat because I know Kyle to be a very no nonsense person. Oh, he's no bullshit. I like, know some of Kyle's beliefs in like ufology and aliens and stuff. But yeah. I haven't talked to him much about ghosts, but he is not a, a person that really uh, would enjoy making shit up. I mean, you need to sit down and have a conversation with him because he's got stories. I would like to hear that one. Yeah. Yeah. And not to jump. I want to jump to a couple things, but yes, we have not touched too much on angelology. Yeah. Uh, but before I go into kind of that, a story about my dad, who may be listening right now, um, when he was a young 
young boy lived in the um, the centralist part, or the most urban part of Columbus, Ohio, um, back in the, I think this may have occurred in the mid to late 50s. Um, he had his room in the basement, and his brother slept upstairs and his parents. So um, this was when he was a kid? Yes. Um, he may have been 10-ish to 13, 14, maybe a little younger than that, but he had his room in the basement. Mm-hmm. And he told he told me the stories a couple of times, and it and it always was the same thing. But um, he said that he slept in total darkness, and his bed was on one side of the basement, and then you know it was kind of a an, an elongated basement, so there was a long journey to the stairs on the other side of the basement. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was pitch dark, and he was trying to go to sleep. Yeah, and he looks, of course, the cliche at the foot of your bed. Yeah, so. He looks down at the foot of his bed and off in the distance in the in the background he sees this glowing thing so he focuses and his eyes plainly see what looks to him at the time of his age to be Jesus Christ stop this is why I'm bringing it up Here's after bumps. you talk about angels and you know a uh, angelic or biblical appearance well he says it was Jesus Christ the face not a body so it wasn't a full-bodied apparition but yeah. The face of Jesus Christ across the basement. And this is the spooky part. He said that it started floating towards him <gasps> in a manner in which it would look like the person was stepping if you were to see the body. So kind of a waving, bobbing, yeah. bobbing head. And it got closer and closer in the darkness. And you could tell as it got closer that it was the face of Christ. Scared the shit out of him. Of course. Jumped up. Turned the light on a little pull string light, looked over towards the foot of the bed, and there was nothing there. Gives me chills to this day. Yeah, every hair on my body's up. Yeah, you know? and and ironically, that's really kind of the only ghost story my dad has ever told me. Wow. Yeah, so, you know, if he was the type of guy that would make up fantastical stories, uh, he hasn't ever since. You know, that was the one story for him. He's a no bullshit guy either. Yeah, I, th- I think so. That's that's the one thing about my dad, you know, it doesn't lie and no. You know. But again, your your stories of the the subtitled the girl with the subtitled uh stuff on her TV so and the crazy. banging outside in that case around that age. My dad kind of around that age, maybe a little little older, but impressionable yeah. ages. So something something to to that. And when when I experienced my first um experience with a full-bodied apparition uh that i described in our first episode or a pilot episode um i mean it was very real Mm -hmm. but you know it happened and this this happened to him and i was about around that age too it seems like people are more prone when they're younger to have an experience that they can't explain that initial thing that kind of either gets them into it or it doesn't so he was uncomfortable with that experience. Yes, he was very uncomfortable. At the time, it happened. So that's just kind of touching back on the whole angel thing that you brought up. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Wow. So so angels, or angelology side of demonology, is it could be an entire additional episode. And maybe we'll do that at some point. But in a nutshell, it's the polar opposite of demonology you know you you Mm -hmm. have your various religions that see 
a different hierarchy of angels and you know who's the who's the various officers that that help god you know maybe there's a treasurer or a city council, city council. Type, type i don't know but um yeah angelology is another deep topic it's the polar opposite of demonology we're talking light versus dark and good versus evil and here's my thing and we get down to the to the to the top of the or the bottom of the the podcast and as we wind down we got to talk about our beliefs and here's the deal speaking of angelology versus demonology in my opinion and i talked to uh my good friend kurt who was on our second episode um we met at breakfast and we were talking a little bit and I, I told him flat out, I said, you know, how can you believe or how can one believe in evil and not or good and not evil? You know what I mean? With, with light becomes dark. And so the yin and yang type, you know, premise. Yeah. I, so here's the deal. I, I believe that there are number one, are good people. I believe in an afterlife. So, when good people go and become an energy on another plane or let's call it heaven, I believe they're in a good state. They're in a good place and governed by a good leader. Yeah. Call him God, if you will. Yeah. Now, I don't think that we can label. Here's the important thing for everybody to listen to. I don't think you can label something as good or evil without the opposite of that. In order to call something good... There's got to be an evil. You're calling it good because you're forced to call it good because there's something opposite. Opposite, evil. Yeah. So in the same thing, if there's, if there's something good, the reason why we call it good is because there's something evil. Or did I just mess that up? But vice versa. You know, there's, there's a specific reason why we label things good and evil. And I think that... If I have to have a belief that there's a heaven or a good state of existence in another dimension, I got to believe that there is a hell. And I will tell you, I have personally spoke to someone who is a bad person, a very, very bad person. I don't know that he's killed people. Mm-hmm. Guy's a dick. Yeah. Perhaps he has, but he once told me, he said that he did have, somebody shot him. He did have a near-death experience, and during that near-death experience, he remembers falling to hell, and it was very real to him, falling to hell, and the closer he got to the proverbial bottom of hell, to the final destination, he had the sensation of heat, like he could feel it. He said it was literally hotter than hell down there. So he had the whole experience of seeing fire in hell, all on his journey to the bottom where he believes probably he should have been for being a bad person. Wow. And you'll hear those stories of people having near-death experiences and seeing the light. and Loved ones. The loved ones, the clouds, God, all that. But you'll also hear people account not going to a very cool place. So That's I, the first time I've ever actually heard of somebody saying that, instead, as opposed to your normal, like, I saw a loved yeah. one. I've never heard somebody say that they went to hell. Yeah, if you if you believe in prayer, pray for that guy because, you know, if he's going to where he previously was heading to before he was snapped back into this humanity, mm-hmm. um, he's going to hell. 
That's crazy. Yeah, so I, in a nutshell, personally, if I if I have to believe in good, I have to believe in evil. So if I yeah. believe in God, which I do, I do believe that there is a supreme leader of the underworld. Well, I do want to say this as well. Not everything's a fucking microwave-eating burrito demon. That I believe. Everything, mostly, everything is not a demon. Just flat out. It's certainly not the devil. I mean, it could be the work of the devil and all that, but... Do I want to assume that my friend, when she was nine, experiencing all these things, do I want to believe that, that you know, she says it was a demon? That's what she said. She The way she... This is something that you'd have to hear somebody tell the right. story. And you'd be like, yeah, that's a demon. But right. truthfully, could it have not been? And was it likely a demon? Probably not. Probably not. And, and, and it's hard to say that because you it don't is. want to take away from their belief and experience. And I'm not. But nine times out of ten, like you said, not everything. Yeah. It's a demon or... And then on the flip side, for me, it doesn't have to be a case where the Catholic Church handles it to be a demon. Yeah. Like, just because they say it was a case of demonic possession doesn't mean it really was. It doesn't make it even more viable than a case where there was not a Catholic priest or a bishop involved. Ugh. You know what I mean? So it really just depends on your beliefs. But I don't take anything away from anybody. And I know there's a lot of people that help people that supposedly supposedly are involved in cases of possession. You know, demonologists in the main street, mainstream ghost hunting arena. I don't, you know, I don't take away from them if they believe they've been, been involved in actual cases of demonic possession. Yeah, that demonic possession is something I can't really, I especially can't speak on because yeah. you don't know if somebody says that happened you can't tell them that it didn't but at the top of the podcast the first thing we talked about is that it's, this is the deepest darkest topic of horror or depth of belief that you can really get into yeah it's it's the bottom of the barrel literally so not a place i would want to go to or experience on this plane of existence but no i'm good yeah, so at some point we'll talk more about the good stuff and the the angels and angelology as a whole and experiences that people have and maybe some famous cases. Um, I can think of a few off the top of my head, but we'll save them for a future episode. But what are we talking about next episode? Do you remember? I do. You want to tell everybody? We're touching on Hellier. So... I cannot be more excited because I've been binge watching for the second time. Sweet. Hold on, the second time. Did yeah. you finish? So there's two seasons. There's two seasons. I went through it once. Wow. I'm rolling through again. Wow. I'm coming lost and loaded. Sweet. So you're you're really brushing up on all things Hellier. I'm so excited. Or is the the man in the part of that one of those earlier seasons refers to it as Ager? A year, hey, yeah. Down here in a year. <laughs> down here in a year. Um, man, you, you watch it the first time and you're like, I'm telling you, and you told me this. You told Kyle this. You said from the first episode, you'll love it or hate it, but from the first episode, right. you it doesn't stop. Like you, right. 
you love it immediately. Right. Or you hate it. So I I would encourage anyone listening to this third episode of the Shadow Things podcast to preemptively brush up and watch the short series, two seasons of Hellier. You can find it on YouTube, YouTube and Amazon video. And I, there may be some other distribution prime video. Yes. Yeah. Um, watch it. So you can know what we're going to talk about at the focus of episode four of season one of the shadow things podcast. Um, I don't want to spoil it and get too deep into it because we're going to talk for an hour and a half about Hellier. I almost need more than that, but we're going to condense it. And let me tell you, it's good. Yeah, it's good. It's compelling. Um, We'll talk about the premise behind Hellier, but that is going to be episode number four. And it's one of the one episodes it's it's that I've been looking for. It's going to be a full on review of not only the film, but the filmmaking, the the folks involved and um, anything else to uh, to surround that that series i mean it's just a wonderful such a cool thing yeah all-encompassing type experience for these people yeah but, um yeah very non-fictional uh, i might add very very much so things that happened and were documented super real yeah so we'll check that out in the next episode but um anything else you want to touch on any more demon stories or you know bottom of the barrel bullshit we can get out I'm fresh out, fresh out of the stories. Yeah, that's a lie. I've got plenty of stories, but yeah, we've got. I'm looking forward to the angelology, touching more on that because sure. that's good stuff. That's that's some, some of that's personal too. Like there's yeah, some, that's some hope there. Like uh, if there are angels and angelology is a real thing, that's the kind of shit I want to really focus on. Yeah, not. Not I'm already, eaters. I already consider myself a good person, so I don't think I'm going to hell. But I'm going to focus on the angelology part for, for my sure. beliefs. But, but yeah, another another good episode, good talk um, with you, Vanessa, about all things shadowy in the demon world. Mm-hmm. And as we said, next episode, we're talking all things hellier. Oh. So do us a favor and watch it so you know what the hell we're talking about. Oh, so you know must. what the hell year we're talking about. Yeah. Um, But until then, we will catch you on the flip side. And remember, visit us at shadowthings.net. Drop us a line, an email at talk at shadowthings.net. And as a reminder, stay in the light and out of the shadows.